Welcome to Conversations with Anne Elizabeth, the podcast inspired by my book, I'm a Registered Dietitian, Now What?, where I have the absolute joy to sit back, relax, and have a conversation about nutrition with a variety of people who share their personal story of passion and purpose, especially registered dietitians. Today's conversation is with registered dietitian Susan Roberts. Susan has paved the way in multiple arenas as a registered dietitian. This episode is a must-listen to hear her exciting and inspirational path to her current position, working with the Let's Move campaign. I hope you have checked out my book, I'm a Registered Dietitian, Now What? And if you are interested, it's available for purchase at my website, annelizabethardy.com, and it's also available as an ebook on Amazon and iTunes. Today's episode is sponsored by Jolly Time Healthy Pop Popcorn, where my guest and I snack smart and we snack happy with Jolly Time Popcorn. To learn more about this perfect snack, visit jollytime.com. My conversation today is with registered dietitian Susan Roberts. Susan has been a pioneer in a variety of professional settings by creating her outstanding professional path. During college, she discovered her appreciation for landscape architecture and agriculture and realized they blended well with becoming a registered dietitian. In the middle of her career, Susan went back to school, actually law school, to have the opportunity to influence food policy as a JD and an RD. In our conversation, she shares her passion for research, sustainable food systems, owning a private practice, advocacy and policy, childhood obesity, her joy of gardening and cooking, as well as working with the Let's Move campaign and the former First Lady Michelle Obama, and also the Partnership for a Healthier America. There was a little glitch around minute seven when Susan's sweet kitty Tucker came to say hi during our conversation, but please bear with us. And I hope you enjoy my conversation with Susan. Well, I honestly, I appreciate you taking time yeah. out of your day with me. And it was so great to meet you when we met. And I just wanted to know more about you, which is why I thought we could sit down today. And just, sure. I'd love to just kind of talk, kind of maybe take me back to when you had the dietitian aha moment of where you kind of thought that's what you wanted to be. Well, that's a hard story because I was going to Iowa State University undergrad and a long time ago, and um, I had no idea I was going to be in the nutrition field. And I started in a couple other fields, and um, one field they told me, oh, there weren't going to be any jobs, so I decided I better get out of that. Another one had a lot of art, and I really, you know, it was landscape architecture, which I still really like. Um, but as more of a hobby, maybe yeah, not a career. Yeah. And so, um, I don't know. I took a nutrition class that was a basic cause I was in the home economics, uh, arena and I loved it. So that's when I decided I was going to save the world and work on poverty issues and, you know, hunger in Africa and things like that. And so that was kind of and I've been in nutrition ever since. Ever since then. And all from just a basic nutrition class. Yeah. That's, and that's kind of how I, that's happened to me too. So yeah. I, can I don't think that's relate. uncommon. I don't think that's uncommon. I think that can happen. Yeah. Well, and I think it's, it's interesting that you were kind of thinking about landscape, you know, design, and then you just mm-hmm. took this basic. So, you know, I'm class. a real environmentalist. I've always had that. My master's is in environmental health and preventive medicine and, um, and one of the food um, systems movement came along, for example, in the 90s, and, and I was heading that because that was that ties into that landscape part. And, sure. And I have big gardens here. I'm a big gardener, actually probably a small farmer, and um, all of that, I think, does in some way tie together because I love my horticulture classes that I was taking in landscape architecture at the time. And still do, you know, all that kind of gardening and things now. I would and see I would never think of that connection. Yeah. But I mean definitely food and, and nutrition both exactly. would come together that way for sure. Yeah. And I think it's really important for us as professionals to call ourselves we are food and nutrition professionals. We oftentimes just say we're nutritionists or we're nutrition professionals. And in reality, food is what gives us the nutrition. And food, in my belief, as I've um, been in my career a long time is it's the food that's really what's important and how that food's grown you know all of that kind of stuff and the sustainability issues are probably more important than is the nutrition issues and so we need to really be looking at all of those issues as the professionals in this arena so we can really broaden 
our arena of what we think of as our profession. Because you wouldn't have nutrition without food. So if it's not sustainable, that's, that's a big issue. It's, a, it's totally a big issue. And that's why when, um, for example, the dietary guidelines is starting to say, hey, you know what, you can't tell people to eat more fish. Let's use that as an example. When we know we're overfishing the oceans and there's not a, if everybody ate the recommended level of fish that we recommend, I'm, you know, I'm using this as an example, you know, we would overfish and we can't do that. So that's not sustainable recommendations. You know, and so all of that kind of thing, or the recommendations to eat more fruits and vegetables. Well, we don't grow enough fruits and vegetables right now for everybody to meet the recommendations. Now, does, can we? Oh, we absolutely. That one is sure. an easier one to do. You know, but um, all of that is, but how do you do it sustainably and not imported from halfway around the world or whatever? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when you did your, you got your undergrad in nutrition mm-hmm. then, and then... So after, where did you do your internship then? So um, I actually did my internship at the University of Iowa. Okay. And I did an internship plus a master's program. So I just stayed on, mm-hmm. and I actually started working right away after my internship. I um, was offered a job there in research. And so it was a perfect one. I loved research. at a clinic. It was at a big clinical research center funded by the NIH, but also gave me the opportunity to work on my master's. Because I was doing, I could do the research, you know, use some of the research for my master's work and stuff like that. What was your research in? Well, actually, I did um, one of the first nutrition assessment manuals. Just talking. Really? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I did a lot of research. The big, the head of the whole um, department when I was there was Bill Connor, Dr. William Connor, mm-hmm. whose wife is Sonia Connor, who was just the past president of the academy a couple of years ago. So she was one of my mentors, along with um, Martha Fry, who was also one of the dietitians there. And, you know, your first job is like one of the most important things that happens. And so I was just so lucky to be with a team that thought dietitians were really important because Dr. Connor, who headed up the whole research center, and so he was a big cardiovascular researcher, probably the best known. Um, in the United States, or one of the best known, and so that was who I started my career with, and so I was doing a lot of that kind of cardiovascular research. But at a um, center like that, there was diabetes research going on. We were doing other kinds of surgical um, interventions with nutrition, you know, making sure, you know, all of this, and this was back in the late 70s. So... I'd love my job at, you know, in research. What a great, that's a great yeah. first job. Yeah, it was, because I use that, res- having that research background, is I use in my profession all the time. I think sometimes, unfortunately, young dietitians don't understand how they should understand research, and they should be reading it all the time and keeping up with what's going on, because it changes all the time. Um, but, yes, it gave me, and published my own research and things like that but that research was more in the areas of you know cardiovascular and stuff versus um what i wrote my did my master's on so what did you do your focus on your master's was in nutrition assessment how do you do a nutrition assessment back in those days was there anything before this yeah i didn't know of any okay so it was kind of like the first manual that was ever written about you know this is how you do all of these different things use skin full calipers sure you know these are the blood values you should be looking at because i thought it was really important and again because i was in clinical research where the head of it thought that nutrition the work was so important i was able to do that on all the patients you know and, and so it was just a very, um, what's the word I want to say, enforcing arena to be working in because dietitians were thought of as being very important in, on the team. And we, we actually wrote our own orders and stuff sure. that were countersigned. You got kind of recruited, you headed to Des Moines and you had a, started WIC and you had a very small, small staff and small space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were, it was, you know, like a brand new program. So this would have been in like 78, I think is when I moved to Des Moines. And um, I had gotten married and we had three little kids and we moved to Des Moines and, um, that was a fast-growing program that was really expanding at the time. And Iowa was, we were doing a really good job in Iowa. And by the time I left, just three years later, um, there were 20 staff. So it kind of gave you an Holy idea of how, yeah, how fast ex- it was growing. And I also then had been promoted to 
um, over all of the food nutrition programs because that so it was like if there was MNCH or nutrition components of MNCH or nutrition components of other things they the staff that worked on that but most of by far the most of those 20 staff were WIC staff um, you know at this yeah no, it was a really fast-growing program. The money was coming in. So you were like, let's do that. Yeah, and it was, it was, it was fun. Um, I'm glad I had some experience working in um, state government, which I've used, and working for a fed, big, large federal program, um, which I've used throughout my career, too. Well, I'm sure you've seen quick change from when you started and, and now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Lots. But, but, you know, it's really interesting. Back in the 80s, I was working with somebody who we were talking to here, I was talking to one of my good friends here, and she says, Sue, I remember standing on the steps of the Capitol and you telling me how we needed to change that food package back in the 80s. And she says, and finally when it got changed, you know, 10 years ago or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's really taken that long. It was probably 10 years ago. But it does. Legislation and those kinds of regulatory work takes ages. A lot of time. A lot of time to get those changes made. But they eventually do get changed. And the food package on WIC is much better than it was then. And WIC is a great program in that it's a very food specific, you know, and I very me- like WIC. Yeah, medically oriented. Healthy. And you were saying way back then, let's change this food package. Mm-hmm. And then you saw it a decade later. So yep. if you work in the government, you have to be patient, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> patient and passionate of making sure that you stick yeah. with the same thing. So. And that's probably why I didn't stay there real long. My personality. It was too slow. It was too slow for me. <laughs> you like things to move along a little faster. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so what was your next step then? So then I decided to be, again, my husband said you were always somebody that was swimming against water. I decided to start my own practice, a private practice that I had for over 20 years. And um, I, that's, I figured I'd have the two best jobs in the state of Iowa, and I knew I wasn't probably going to work in a hospital. That just wasn't something that I was going to do. Mm-hmm. So I'd been, you know, head researcher because while I was there, I I progressed up to the head research dietitian position, and then I'd had been the state um, director for community nutrition for the state of Iowa. And if I was going to stay in Iowa, which I was because mm-hmm. my husband was here, I um, decided I needed to start my own practice because that was what I could. You know, it was the next big challenge that I like. And I always like challenges. And so I actually um, started, I had a partner for just about a year, and then I went out on my own. And um, I love private practice because that was was challenging. You know, it's really, you got to have a certain personality, an entrepreneurial type of personality to be able to to handle the unknowns that you're not going to maybe get a paycheck one week or something, Mm -hmm. whatever it might be. Although... I will say I never did not get paid. I always had, you know, I was enough of a workaholic that I was always getting. Always made sure I always made sure I got paid. And actually, it's the one type of business where you can get paid a lot more than you ever can on a salary. Because a salary you get the constant in a private practice. You can, because eventually, I had staff. I had up, upwards of seven people working for me. Had contracts. We did national work, and so you know. But at some point. After about 20 years, I kind of got tired of that, you know? Time for something new. Yeah, it was, you know, health and wellness was always really important, and I was doing that kind of stuff. I liked seeing the private patients, and I I liked all of the work. Did you like the variety? Yes. Did you always have a constant variety? I had a constant variety. I made sure I did. Because you can't see patients when you're doing it that way, when you're doing one-on-one counseling like that. Um constantly because it's just too hard exhausting yeah (laughs) it's very exhausting and so you have to have other ways you can make money you can have billable hours and i enjoyed that so just for if our listeners are listening i know entrepreneurial spirits are out there now a lot of people want to start their own business Mm -hmm. and they think it's going to be a piece of cake and they are going to see patients all day long but you know when you look at that that maybe not a business model, but what kind of other things besides seeing individual consults would a person kind of do in a private practice? You, you can pretty much do anything you want as long as you can find somebody to pay you. <laughs> that's okay? that's, that's, that's the ticket. key. <laughs> and um, I did TV things. I did a lot of writing for newspapers, national, you know, Meredith was here, so, and I had some contacts at Meredith. I mean, one of the most important things is a net, being a networker and figuring out where these contacts are. Who are these people that you're going to work with? And then I started working in businesses, and once I got known, you know, the good thing about Des Moines in here, at least when I first started, is I could become a big fish in a small pond. Sure. 
because, you know, I was doing stuff on TV. I was writing in the Des Moines Register um, and, you know, doing Mayor Republic. Yes. Yeah. And so I got known and I went out and got to know physicians and, you know, worked, both had them refer patients to me and I went to their offices. And I then I started working in the, with the um, community of um, industry, you know, and business and industry. You know, I was the first dietitian ever to work for Hy-Vee. Yeah. now has all these <laughs> dietitians, which is great. And so I did, I did a lot of that. The but variety I, is basically based on what you're willing to put yourself out there to yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. And you can consult to all kinds of people. Maybe you want to, you know, consult to farmers now. You know, that's true. Do it. Or a food company. That's a startup food company. I mean, those are the kinds of things that a lot... And you pretty much you just have to know... Um, that stuff, you know, the background of what you're going to be consulting in. You better understand it. You don't start consulting to a food company if you don't understand how they operate and what the laws are that relate to that. Which you need to stay up on, too, because those are ever-changing as well. Always. Always. And all through all of that, I always was interested in policy. And I was actually the, you know, the policy person that was represented um, Senator Harkin, because all from the state of Iowa. Mm -hmm. And so I go into D.C. and I got to know Senator Harkin pretty well. And he was just a wonderful senator to have to work with because he enjoyed, he thought nutrition was really important. Yes, he did. And so I uh, decided that in the early 90s, I mean, sorry, in the late 90s, I decided I was either going to get, my kids were all through college and all that, I said, I'm either going to go back and get a PhD. This is when I started getting interested in food systems work. And said, I'm either going to get a PhD in agriculture or something related to that so that I have that background. Or then I um, ran into someone and I decided to go to law school instead. Because I was really interested in the policy side of things. And it was lucky that Drake is here. Yes. The law school is right here in Des Moines. And uh, I could get a specialty in food and agriculture law. They have that. They had it. I was really? really well. I was the first one to get it. Or you're like the first one of kind of. You're on the cusp of everything. Yeah, no, I am. <laughs> sometimes that's that's really challenging and it's really fun, and sure. I enjoy that. But it's really hard. Um, you know, even being in private practice back in those days, no one was doing it. The few people that tried it failed because it was really hard. I was lucky. I was married, and so when you're in private practice. At least when you're starting out, if you got someone else that has an income, it does help. It, it helps. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm the first to admit that. Mm -hmm. However, in the end, my business became the you know became very successful, and I was making you know. Well, if you had seven money. people on staff too, I mean, yeah. you definitely were. Yeah. You, you made, made money. It, what it was yeah, and um, but at the time that I decided on a, I just decided oh, I'm going back to law school. <laughs> And it was so like, can you tell me that I don't mean to, but I mean, how long have you been a dietitian when you decided that? You I was going to be 50. Okay. So you've been a dietitian for quite a while. Years. Yeah. 30 years or whatever. Not quite 30. So you and, are definitely passionate about policy. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to work on was nutrition policy. So I knew having, I was very passionate about food nutrition. So I wasn't going to give up my career. I was never going to go work in, and do divorces. Or sure. <laughs> corporate law or anything like that. But, and you know, so it was a big deal to decide to go to law school. But it was something I just thought, hey, I'm 50. I want to see if I can still go back to school. If I'm not, not losing my, you know, my, I thought I was not remembering stuff as well. So I said, oh, I'm going to go back to school and force myself. Well, what it was I throwing myself into, I had not a clue. But I was went in really naive. Mm -hmm. However, I am a worker, and I would never give up. And so, yeah, I graduated in the top 10%, and I did fine. You know, passed the bar. And But I knew even passing the bar, I didn't have to do it, because what I'm going to do wasn't going to, you know, necessarily require it. Yeah, didn't mm -hmm. require because I wasn't going to practice law in the courtroom. Um, however, what I did do then is I started working initially at Drake Law School because there was a food and agriculture or an agriculture law center and I worked there and I kind of brought up the food side of things for a short time and then I got offered a job um, heading up a large um, fellowship program that Kellogg funded so it was a Kellogg Fellows called Food and Society Policy Fellows and um, I got offered a fellowship and then they said but by the way the executive director's position is going to be open, would you consider that because you have a good background, you know, and things, because I've done a lot of different things in media and stuff, and it was really a media fellowship, and um, 
I remember saying, well, which pays more? Yeah. You know? <laughs> which is true. The fellowship, yeah. the fellowship was two years. The job was for longer. Oh. So I did that. Um, and what was that like then? It was, it was wonderful because it was really in that food systems work that I loved. And so now I'm meeting all of these people with the agriculture background. With the same interest as you. Yes. And, and so, but I was bringing the nutrition side to that. And I was able, because I was the ED and I was reading all the applicants, uh, we'd get 500 a year if we had 12 positions. Always we would always have at least one or two with nutrition backgrounds. Yes, you. Yeah. So you were like, I like them. Uh-huh. Look at yeah. the yes pile. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I, it sure helped. Let's put it that way. Sure. I'm not sure. I wasn't the only one choosing. Yes, but, yeah. Um, and so it was a phenomenal job. I loved it. And um, just, you know, did a lot of national work and How was did it a lot working? of policy. How is it working with more of that agriculture, like you being that food nutrition side? How did, I mean, like, what did you do to kind of start switching the talk about, you know, the agriculture is part of nutrition, but how did nutrition become more of the conversation? Oh, just because people were interested in that. Almost everybody's interested in nutrition, even though they may sit and act like they're not. They were really interested in that. And so much of the sustainable agriculture stuff is related to nutrition. And what we were trying to do was to show the connection between the public's health and sustainability. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it was, it's an automatic. It's, some people still don't even draw the connection. Just like it's, it's you know, food is medicine is still a sure. concept that not everybody agrees with. Sure. Or practices, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. And so, and... It's the same as food is one of the food system is one of the best ways for us to become sustainable. There's a lot of ways that sustainability, you know, can play, you know, factors, but there's all the stuff that's happening and so much of it revolves around food. And you talk about climate change, you talk about the oceans being overfished, you talk about all the stuff that have to do with sustainability. Food is a factor in all of it and can be a um, an answer to help, you know, in our in our food. Um, I actually um, was doing that, and in, while I was in um, in law school, I actually worked on Senator Harvey's staff too. You so, did, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, I loved. Uh, I worked on the Farm Bill, which was you, you know had the SNAP program in it. I actually wrote a little piece of legislation that I thought was critically important, and I wrote the language for it. And that was um, back then. We were this was this was been in the early 2000s I said you know we have to have an it would be really good to have an incentive for healthier food and SNAP and everybody goes oh that never worked so I wrote in a pilot that they actually passed it passed in the legislation and they did the pilot in Massachusetts and it was an incentive to show that hey you give SNAP participants an incentive to buy fruits and vegetables Mm -hmm. then you give them more money if they buy more fruits and vegetables they get more money to buy more fruits and vegetables it worked and um, I don't know if they'll ever implement it nationally, but some states have used that I model, said. and that model is out there. The research was done. It took a long time to set up all the data, you know, ways that they it. had to track it and stuff like that. So it took about five to ten years to get the data done, but it's done now. That's um, wonderful. Yeah, and so, and then I did some lobbying. In I was going to ask if you did some lobbying as well. Yeah, then I got some contracts to do lobbying and that kind of stuff too. And then I got the opportunity to do my current job. And that was when um, Kellogg Foundation was funding the First Ladies Let's Move, was one of the funders for the First Ladies Let's Move campaign. And the White House had set up um, the Partnership for a Healthier America outside of the White House because they knew they needed a a nonprofit sitting outside of the White House to work with the private sector. Mm-hmm. It was easier for that because they couldn't do it because of all the laws. Sure. Um, so the partnership was set up. They got big funders like Robert Wood Johnson, the Kellogg Foundation, Kaiser Permanente, some funders like that. And Kellogg immediately realized they needed someone with a nutrition background and a food systems background. and they, So they asked me if I would go in as a Kellogg supporting fellow and be a fellow on this staff. And when I started, there were like four of us. There's now 25 or so on the staff, you know? Uh-huh. So I was one of the very first ones to start. I started within the first year of the partnership. 
And so they was, reached out to you, and they asked you based on your experience. Yeah, with I've had a really good. I've had a lot of luck in my career. I, I've never really applied for a job ever. Well, you, well, you're paving the way because you know what you're doing. Yeah, well, I guess <laughs> I don't know. So they came and asked me, and it meant moving to Washington D.C. Okay. But that was okay with my husband. They were was part of the, you know, the compensation that that was all um, negotiated and. I said, this is a capstone on my career because, one, I'm going to work in the nutrition arena. I'm going to do policy work, and I'm working for a wonderful initiative that is all national. that you... Exactly. Putting all of my career into one job. It's like the perfect pot of stew. <laughs> yeah. And one of the things that, you know, I've always been involved nationally, so I know a lot of people nationally, and that was really important to PHA, too, when I got there is they would say, well, who do you know? You know, do you know this person? Do you know this person? You know, and I did. It, oftentimes. Not, yes. not everybody. But sure. a lot, a lot of people. And so that really did, and they still to this day, that's one of the things that I help them with, is, you know, because I have that background. Making that connection with other entities. Yeah. And so we're still going. I'm only working part-time right now, two days a week. And you were full-time. How long did you live in D.C. then? I actually lived in D.C. for two years. And then I said, that was the end of my fellowship. And they said, we want you to stay on and keep working for us. And I said, okay. But if I do that, I'm going to move back to Iowa, and I'll fly in every other week. Oh. And they paid for me to stay in a hotel every other week. They like you. They really want you to uh, (laughs) So I um, did that for two years, Mm -hmm. where I flew back and forth. And um, and then I had this opportunity. My youngest child, we have four children, our youngest needed um, a nanny to take care of two little kids. When she went back to school to change her careers, she kind of was following her mother's footsteps. Is she? Yeah, changing careers. Not as, not as a dietitian. Yeah. But what she was was an environmental scientist before, and she decided to become a nurse practitioner. Okay. And she got into one of these very accelerated programs to get a bachelor's degree in nursing to start. And so... It was like, you know, 14-hour days, they told her, you know, seven days a week, and and who's going to take care of her two little girls that were two and four? And I said, okay, I'll quit my job in D.C., and I'll come out and live with you for a year in Seattle. So that's what I did. And when I told them I was going to leave in six months, because I gave them six months' notice, um, we decided that I could still work eight hours a week. So when I was in Seattle, I still worked for PHA eight hours. <laughs> so you were a full-time nanny and you're... Oh, working. yeah. And I, I mean, you know, and I, because I've always worked really hard, I thought, oh, this is going to be simple. I can work eight hours. <laughs> I could, I, I'd forgotten what it was like to have little kids. Because when sure. I had little kids around, I had my own nanny. <laughs> and I was like, I was, I had my office I went to. Uh-huh. So this is what happened the first week. <laughs> Well, Melissa, they were going to be going into preschool, but I think they hadn't started yet. Or I set up a call that wasn't in my work hours because I did four hours on Tuesdays and Thursdays mm-hmm. and when they were at preschool. And so somehow they were, had gotten into bed. They were taking their naps, and I was on a call with five other people or something like that. And pretty soon I'm in my office, and I hear this little knock on my door. I go, oh, no. Well, the two-year-old, for the first time, had gotten out of her crib the other, the four-year-old had helped her. They're standing at my door, and I'm on the phone with five business people, and I'm going, and I go, you guys, go play. I'll be off the phone pretty soon, you know. I put the phone on mute, you know, so I, and by the time I got off the phone, they had found a pen and started showing oh, no. on their mother and father's new suede furniture. Oh, my God. <laughs> and so I said, I, my daughter was so upset with her mother that night, I thought I was going to be fired. fired. <laughs> it would be the first job I get fired from. Yeah. No, she was very, but she's mom, you cannot work while you're taking care of them. I said, okay, I get it. So never again. Yeah. Never again did I try and work while they were around. And because they were just very innovative on what to do. And um, but I kept working, like I said, just eight hours a week. And then when I came back to Iowa after my Seattle gig was over, mm-hmm. um, a year later, I um, went back to 16 hours a week. So I'm working two days a week. And that keeps me still really involved in what PHA does. 
but I still have three days a week. That so you I, can meet. That can yeah, be I'm, kind of, I'm kind of semi-retired. Yeah. Which I really like. That's wonderful. So what kind of duties do you have with this organization? Then? Okay, so what I do is I basically, because of my food and nutrition background, we work with the private sector to get them to commit to um, doing a variety of things that can help in the obesity, childhood obesity epidemic, to end it in a, within a generation. So if I'm talking to a company like Dannon, which is one of our partners, it took me probably, a, maybe not quite a year, but nine months to negotiate a contract with them to get them to agree to X, Y, and Z that they would do, like lowering sugar in their yogurt sure. and adding vitamin D as a supplement and different things are what they committed to, huge commitments. They also fund programs that train dietitians to, you know, they have an institute, a nutrition institute that they funded. That was part of their commitment. Different, different things like that. And so that's what I do is I basically negotiate those kinds of contracts. And anything that has something to do with nutrition, um, in one way or another, I pretty much get involved. And some of our commitments are not, so one-on-one -on -one we would negotiate that. And I'm doing a couple now that we'll be announcing Soon. <laughs> um, but <coughs> there were a couple that we decided we couldn't negotiate each one separately. It would just take too long. So we set standards or guidelines for a industry, such as hospitals, nutrition departments. Oh, sure. Or for campuses, to have healthy campuses. And, um, or in convenience stores, for convenience stores. And I helped design all of those because they had... Um, the nutrition was was an part of it, you know. Wow, what a variety! Yeah, and then we came up with like, well, what's a healthier food? If we're working with a company and we want them to have healthier food, what are we going to? And I always said we have to use what's the U.S. policy, and the U.S. policy is the dietary guidelines. Mm -hmm. So many foods do not meet the dietary guidelines because they have too much sodium, or they have too much sugar, or they're not real food. Yeah. You can no, make a pre-packed, you can make a packaged food that can have low salt and low saturated fat, blah, 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 no trans fat, and then it's not real food. So we worked for a couple of years, and I think we have excellent guidelines. We have a flow chart that we use that the, um, we now have three dietitians on staff, so it's really, wonderful. yeah, it's wonderful. And we all use this, and it's a flow chart that uh, a food has to go through. Um, and I think it's a really a unique um, way of looking at food, and it gives you, it's pretty, I want to say it's black and white, but it, we do have the standards. It's not just looking at it and saying, well, I think that's a healthy food, mm -hmm. you know, and it has to have real food in it. So what it does is you take a food, let's just take an apple as an example. If it's a single ingredient like an apple that's not been, had anything done to it, it automatically is a healthier food. So any real food, even a can of corn, Let's say it's canned corn, but it has nothing added to it. It doesn't have salt. It doesn't have any kind of preservatives or anything like that. That's, it's, that's a, a healthier food. food. It's sure. a real food. If it's a can of corn that has salt added to it, then it goes to step two, where we start. Then we look at all the nutrition guidelines that the dietary guidelines have. Is it lower in sodium? Is it lower in sugar? Now sugar's added. Is it lower in saturated fat? All of those. And we use the dietary guidelines. So an easy way for us is to say, if we base everything on a 2,000-calorie diet, there's the sodium requirements 2,300 for a 2,000-calorie diet, dietary guidelines, upper limit. So we say 1.23 milligrams of sodium per one calorie. So if an item has 100 calories, it can have about 123 milligrams of sodium max, mm -hmm. or it doesn't pass through. So that's very low sodium. It is. It is, but that's what the dietary guidelines are. Which is a great interpretation a lot of people don't realize when yeah. you look at the dietary guidelines. Yeah. No, people eat way more sodium than oh, the dietary clearly. guidelines. Yeah. And so we have to start working on that. But there's a lot of foods that pass through it. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. And then now it's like 10% of the calories have to be less than 10% of the calories can't be from sugar or any kind of sweetener. We, we define that as a lot of different or we use a P to S ratio. We use less than 10% saturated fat, but we also use a P to S ratio um, because there's some foods that might have a little bit more. Peanuts would be a good example. A little oh, bit more sure. saturated fat. So we make exceptions, but if we look at the P to S ratio, it's fine because that's a high-fat food. Mm -hmm. And then once if, if something passes through all that stuff, you know, all the guidelines, then the last thing is it has to have 
at least one serving equivalent of real food that in every 100 calories. So we do everything on 100 okay. calories. And so if, uh, a, these are the dietary guideline servings. So a cup of vegetables is considered a serving. Half a cup of fruit is considered a serving. Uh, ounce of protein mm-hmm. is another serving. Uh, an egg, for example. And Now an egg is a good example. It passes out at step one. Because it's a real food. It's a real mm-hmm. food. It's a single ingredient. Mm-hmm. You've got an egg mixture where you start adding stuff to it, then it's going to have to go through the flow chart. Um, and what happens is a food like a um, anything that's got real food in it is probably going to have a serving in 100 calories because we've designed it so that it would, unless it's got a lot of sugar. If it's an item that has a lot of sugar, before we had the new 2015 guidelines, we didn't even have a sugar. But it got kicked out down here because if it had a lot of sugar, then it couldn't get a real food, enough calories for the real food. Sure. But let's use an example of just some... Can't, let's use our canned peaches or something like that, or frozen peaches or anything. If they don't have sugar on them, well, let's even say they have a little bit of sugar. If it's less than 10% of the calories, probably there's still a half a cup within of a half. Of actual fruit, yeah. Within a half. And so that's going to pass through that third step, okay? Um, but that actually, here's an example. You take something like a kind bar, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah, that's all real food. You know, and it's not necessarily low calorie. No. It might have 200 calories, 300 calories per bar, but it's nuts, it's oil, it's fruit. It might have a grain in it, you know, whatever it has in it. And as long as all of those are in it, and that's all that's on the ingredient label, we pass it through. Okay? It's all real. It's all real food. Okay? That makes sense. Yeah. And so that's a healthier food by our definition of guidelines. Mm-hmm. Then we do exactly the same thing with recipes. Oh, you do? Yeah. So recipes, we have a guideline, we have a flow chart for recipes, too. And they work, it works just exactly the same. I mean, a recipe's never going to have just a single ingredient. True. Yeah. yeah. But, and there's a few things that pass through. And kids, a few things are different with kids, and we don't um, allow preservatives and additives and food colorings and stuff for kids under 12. Huh. If it's a product that's specifically for kids. Yeah. Like a fruit roll-up or yeah. something. Yeah. Like snacks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or... Uh, those yogurt things, yogurt for things. Kids yeah. Or something. So, but you know what? Industry, I've seen phenomenal change in the last six years. I was since just going to ask, have you seen a huge shift yes. in how yes. companies no, are? Is there a lot of still bad stuff out there? Yes, there's still a lot of bad stuff. But is there a lot of good stuff coming out? And is that the wave of the future? Is healthier food? Yes. And if I was a dietitian just coming out, I would go, Wow, <laughs> I had uh, the sky's the limit on what I could do, you know. And, and I think I just talked to this wonderful young lady last week because people call me once in a while because a professor said, "Hey, here's a lady that's got a law degree and also and she wants to oh, have a law yeah. degree." You know, she's wonderful. She'll do great, and you know, she's passionate about it. You got and passion is probably one of the most important things that people can have is they really believe in what they're doing. And they're passionate about it. And they uh, they know their stuff. I mean, I think it's really important to just keep up and you really know what you're doing. But if you can do it, you can make you can make a difference in people's lives. You know, and whether it's a, a policy. You know, when I was in private practice, I was make I had lots of people that were very uh, appreciative of the work that I did with them. You know, so that was always so rewarding. Mm-hmm. Private practice is a real rewarding it's an immediate reward, probably. Exactly. More. Yeah. Yes. And so, however, I also knew that if I got into policy, I could change things at a national level. Bigger. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Bigger. Like child nutrition standards or getting companies. So the work I was doing. So one of the first companies that we got a commitment from was Walmart. And, and actually, some of this was done before I even got there, so it was really early on. It was done by the White House, basically, before we even had PHA. But we came in and took it over. But Walmart committed to, they had this good-for-you label that actually was had good criteria because they had a Ph.D. nutrition working, person working with them. And then they um, said, we're going to lower sodium in all the food, that, you know, the average that comes through, all this stuff that we sell in our stores. We're going to lower sugar. We're going to get rid of sat fat, or uh, trans fat. Mm-hmm. Okay, this was their commitment. I knew, I said, this is the most wonderful thing that's hap- that's going to happen. In my whole career, if you're trying to change the food system, I have an effect on it because I'm watching Walmart do this because Walmart's going to tell Campbell's 
that they need to lower their sugar. They're going to tell Dan they need to lower their sugar because Walmart's made a commitment for all the food that goes through their store. Not only just their brand, but sure, all, all the food. Yeah. yeah. And I go, I was just like, it said goosebumps up my, <laughs> my back because I go, that is huge, that commitment. Because it's changing our whole food supply. And you know what? It changed and people didn't even realize. I was going to say, people didn't even know probably. Right. Mm-hmm. But you go back 15 years and you look at how much sodium is in canned corn versus how much is in it now. Now, some brands still have too much, but you can start looking. Or are they doing healthier for you um, lines mm-hmm. with like a lower line. sodium or no salt added? Yes, mm-hmm. you know, and things like that. And so it is. It's a pheno- it's phenomenal what's happening, but there's still a, we have a long ways to go. So it's there's so much opportunity out there for people to do it. And if you're eating a lot of mostly real food, you don't need to worry about it. You don't. <laughs> No, that's right. Yeah. It's kind of like my husband and I had these great salads at lunch that were, you know, mixed greens on the bottom. Now, we actually have greens grown out in our whole frame. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. These are not. They're not quite ready yet. But that, that's what, And then I had quinoa and it had cabbage and it had a pear and some dried fruit and um, oh, almonds, mm-hmm. roasted almonds, toasted almonds, and then uh, like a honey mustard dressing on it. That you probably made from scratch and honey. <laughs> exactly. No, why not? I yeah. mean, well, because that's, that's the real ingredients. All of that was with Yeah, that. and why would I not? I always say, hey, it's real oil. Absolutely. Use real oil. You know, it's olive oil. That's good for us. Mm-hmm. And it was honey from our, we have our own bees. Yeah, bees too. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. And, you know, so it's like, that's, that's how we all should be eating it. And if it's not hard. No, it's not. It's hard. not. And, but but people and people can do it. And people are doing it. And but sometimes, oftentimes, they don't understand how to do it either. Mm-hmm. That's the role of the dietitian to come in. But it's also the role of the dietitian to work with these companies because there's other companies out there that are saying, "Oh, we have all these healthy products," and it's like, um, really not. That cookie is really healthy. You know, no, it's not. From their standards, it is. Yeah, well, whatever <laughs> their standards are. Yeah. Yeah. So, all of that said, it's a, it, well, I think it's an exciting field. It's I've very never, never regretted that I was ever in the field of food and nutrition. And I think the policy and having the legal background and the ability to work in that area is a huge arena for dietitians in the future. The, because so many people that are working in the legal arena don't have the nutrition background. So it wasn't my legal expertise that was the most valuable. It was your dietitian. It was my, my nutrition background, my food nutrition background. Yes. Um, because I could put the two together. And That's a powerful so, combination. Yes, that's right. And, um, yeah, I've had a very rewarding career. And, I've been, you know, like I said, my job now is, like, super good. You know, it's like a capstone on my career to get to a Which is why with. you're still doing it. Yeah. That's <laughs> right. And, you know, to, and the opportunity to work with the First Lady who is former first lady, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. um, is, was so wonderful. I mean, she's a real inspiration to people that have got, had the opportunity to get to work with her. And what she did as the first lady of the United States did phenomenal things, especially for our field, you know, yes. talking about health and nutrition. I mean, she was the, she was the model, you know, of these are the things that we're going to work on. Kids are important. Really need to work on these things. I really feel like she did set the tone a lot to put a focus on child nutrition and Absolutely. healthier school food. And I, if it wouldn't have been for the administration working on those issues, we would have never gotten all those rules that we got passed that are that are for healthier food. Because there's all kinds of forces out there that don't want kids to have healthier food. Oh yeah, and it's not because they care don't want kids to be healthy, it's because it's all for profit. It's a business. It, yes, and it's cheaper to put out crap food. Because just the way our system economically, the food system is set up now. So it costs more to have it. But people are doing it. And there's just phenomenal stuff happening in schools, too. And um, Which you probably saw from a business perspective, too, is working with companies to provide. Because a lot of those products are specifically just for food service and yes. school nutrition. Yes. So did you work on that aspect? Too? A little bit, yes. Now... We specifically never took a stand on policy issues. So if you would have asked us, do you support the soda tax, as an example, mm-hmm. we would never say we don't support it or not support it because we were 
um, nonpartisan. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And I always laugh. I says we're not really nonpartisan. I think we're bipartisan. <laughs> and so we had yeah. um, Senator Frist was the first former first lady is the chairman of our board or the honorary chair. Okay. And then we had Senator Cory Booker, who's a Democrat, was an honorary chair, vice chair, and then Senator Frist, who was a former um, physician. Or, uh, yeah, he was a physician, and he was in the Senate. Um, and a Republican, head of the, he actually headed up the Senate for a while. And he um, was our other honorary co-chair. So we had the Democrats and the Republicans. And on our board, we have that, too. And so we're always working, you know, on it from that perspective. But... Um, we, so we never worked on, so you asked me about like child nutrition. Yes, I would work with the companies that provide the food mm-hmm. as an example versus saying, oh, this is what the, the, the rules the are. Rules are. And mm-hmm. Do we get involved in um, writing them or anything? Like that? No, that was not our role. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, now that the, um, uh, Mrs. Obama is out of the White House, and PHA will take on a little bit of a different role. Now, we were set up, she was going to continue to work with us. So that's why PHA is still going. Because the, yeah, because the, the problem hasn't been solved. We're no. solving it, but it's, there's still a lot of work to be done. And she's going to be involved in, uh, I think it's probably one of those was set up as a foundation for her to go to or not proper for her to work. And she's out of the White House, too. And then, you know, there's living in D.C., so they're around. Sure, they're still close to the yeah. action. <laughs> well, that's Even great. Though, yeah, so I think for the cause, it's a great... I guess, um, like you said, there's so much more work to do yet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there is. And But there's a lot being done. And that's, you know, the um, glass is always half full, not half empty. And lots going on. And, you know, the profession of food and nutrition, specifically dietitians that have that degree... That can put that information into knowledge for, for, um, for other you know people. others, clients, patients, whoever. And I, um, I know, like working at Hy-Vee is an example of working in grocery stores is an example of another role that dietitians never had twenty mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's there's I just like I feel like there's just like, a lot of opportunity, and I think like you said too, I. I think it's important for dietitians to stay current because just there are some dietitians that don't know about like you're working hard with companies that maybe some dietitians don't shed a great light on because maybe they are producing some not so healthier items but they're working on it and um that's the i'm sorry oh you're fine (laughs) that's a um, huge that is exactly what you say it's like they are doing stuff but then there's other companies that are playing paying lip service to it they're doing it doing it yes yeah oh i'm sure yeah and it's you know but i it's changing and uh, and you have a place at the table so i think that's important too and you can't ask for anything more than that. Because like you said, maybe 30 years ago, there wasn't even a place at the table. So right. if we can have one there, yeah. we should be there. And as long as we're um, strong. Because the place at the table brings with it um, demands that you be strong. Mm-hmm. Because you're representing the you know all of the nation's people. And what, what do they task. deserve? <laughs> exactly. And I, I also think that as dietitians or as food nutrition professionals, um, we should see that as our profession isn't as important as the role that we have in the, in the world and in the United States and how we should work for, towards a healthy food supply and a sustainable food supply. That should be our number one priority. Number one priority isn't making sure there's always dietitians that have jobs. No, that is not our number one our our number one priority is making sure that there's a healthy food supply out there and that people are having the access to it, you know, that they can get healthy food and that it's grown in a sustainable way. There's just so many things that we need to, that still our food system needs work on. And, um, and I think it'll be really interesting. You know, just think of the politics right now with, I was reading something today about, you know, the, these trade, you know, the trade things. Well, what is that going to do to our food supply? Is that going to make some of our food a lot more expensive? 
or with immigration laws. Unfortunately, a lot of our food is very dependent on migrant workers. And what is that going to affect on, you know, have effect on the farmers, especially in like the Californias and stuff sure. like that? Not so much in Iowa, but in Iowa we have uh, some immigrants too, too. Yeah, yeah, that absolutely. are doing different work. And so all of that, they oftentimes work in the food system mm-hmm. at different levels in the food system. And so what's, you know, the, the challenges are out there. And I think, again, in the pol- these are all policy things. Mm-hmm. So as a dietitian or a food nutrition professional in that arena, you know, get involved in the policy issues on immigration, on food systems work, on the, the farm bill, uh, all the stuff now about SNAP and, mm-hmm. you know, what people use their SNAP dollars to buy. And, oh, wow. It's just, you know, it's, it's a great, you know, it's a really good arena. And I'll tell you, people who are making those decisions in Washington, D.C., need dietitians to help them people with nutrition backgrounds to help them make those decisions because they oftentimes don't have that. And so thinking about just myself and other younger dietitians, what thinking about sustainability and, and advocacy and policy, where do you kind of recommend us starting? So someone that doesn't know anything about it and but has an interest, what do you, what's your advice? You know, what, what my advice is to start is I think that um, there's a, a dietetics practice group called the Hunger and Environmental Nutrition Practice Group, HEN. And it has the most wonderful people working with it. You know, it is so, um, to me, it, it's so um, invigorating to see these young dietitians that are interested in these issues. And that, anybody that's a member of the, so the academy can become a member of that practice group. Sure. And I think that's, you know, start getting involved place. with that. And go, you know, to when we have our fancy and things like Mm -hmm. that and going to that um, going to their meetings because you'll just be so enthralled with what they're working on because they are looking at these issues you know so that's that's what I would recommend especially from the sustainability and they get involved in policy things too Mm -hmm. and you know that's where I actually was one of the co-founders of that group oh you were back in the 90s yeah when did it start in the 90s Yeah. yeah around the late 90s kind of when we were yeah, and so it, it's so funny. We said, oh, it was the com- we combined the hunger nutrition practice group and the environmental nutrition because mm-hmm. they were both real small and we were not going to survive, so we combined them. <laughs> and That's okay, though. Yeah. It's and, thriving now. It's, oh, it's thriving like, now. Yeah. It's the fastest growing one. And so we said, well, we, just for the year, we're going to use this name, HEN. You know, hunger and environmental nutrition. Well, it's never changed in 20 years or whatever. Not in quite 20, yeah, I mean, quite 20 years. But, yeah, and it's like, wow. But they, you know, I think that's one of the big arenas, and I think that's – and then go, you know, take classes. I see them all the time. You can take online classes in sustainability and stuff like that. And if you really want to get into policy and you, and you think that you might want to go back to law school, I mean, it's, law school is real hard. But yeah, law school is not easy, but you definitely know that there is <coughs> definitely a niche for that RD, JD kind of combination. Mm-hmm. It definitely is. Well, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah. and they can, they can call you, right, if, yeah. you, <laughs> if they have questions or want some advice <laughs> since you're paving the way. Do you kind of know of other um, dietitians that have kind of done this? You there's have, not. There's a few. A few. Yeah, kind of probably spread over all over all the, the United States, yeah. and oftentimes the ones who do it, they then they start working at it. Oftentimes they don't want to work in the policy arena, so then they work in the um, they go into a legal firm mm-hmm. and they'll represent the big food clients, okay, or whatever, because they do have that nutrition background or they understand, um, you know, all of the regulations that relate to food labels. You sure. can be an expert just in food labels, oh my gosh. you know, and, and do the yeah. legal work for companies. Yeah, that relate to all that, and you know, figuring out how to meet all the art, the FDA regulations and stuff. It's not just the labels; there's all kinds of regulation. Uh, but um, so they are not doing the same thing that I am working mm-hmm. in the policy side, looking at saying how do you how do you work on child nutrition or how do you work on the farm bill or you know that kind of stuff. See, cool. I would have never even thought of that as an occupation for yeah. a dietitian. Yeah, mm-hmm. there are. There are some. And I think it's good to know that there's different avenues that 
if you have some other passions, like like you said, with policy and advocacy, there's... Yeah, and then the, just think about the advocacy groups that are out there working on policy. So, like Center for Science and the Public Interest, for example. They have JDs. Mm-hmm. You know, they're working on policy stuff. And if they had one with an RD2, that would be very powerful. powerful. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. See, you know, I don't know if they do, off the top of my head. Uh, but, yeah, yeah. There, there's there's all kinds of positions. And I think that that's, it's a future, it's a way that will um it's where we're i think it's where we're heading you know just with just like you said with making sure that we have a food supply yes for people (laughs) in the future right that's right and that's policy Mm -hmm. it's the laws that determine how what all of us get Mm -hmm. i mean you know so everybody needs to and i think people are getting more interested in following the, the legislation and stuff like that but it's tough I mean, you know, uh, it's not easy to follow it, and it's not easy to know. And some people don't really care about people. They just care about people making money and things mm-hmm. like that. And then it's, sometimes it gets discouraging, but at the same time, you, when you're, you win some battles, too. Sure. And you, have to keep, and you have to keep going. You can't just say, like, okay, we're done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Put your head in the sand. Right. Well, obviously, you love to garden, and you like to create your own food at home, too, with having bees and gardening and do you have chickens you have chickens too wonderful those eggs are the best eggs they are the best they're wonderful I was just thinking about your salad how your salad would definitely pass your flow chart yeah very quickly (laughs) (laughs) that's exactly right (laughs) yeah (laughs) well I think your career your career sounds so exciting I think you're going to be a great resource for just people that are just different ways to look at dietetics. And we don't all have to just be in a hospital setting. We don't all have to be, you know, in a food service setting. That there's just so many different avenues if you go out and search for them. Yep. And right. that's, I think we need to spread that message more for dietitians. Yes, I, I totally agree. So mm-hmm. I thank you for yeah. giving well, me the have, opportunity to talk to you. I have some fun questions for you before oh. we end. So you answered all these serious questions. What's your favorite food? Oh, boy. I don't know. You know, I just love fruits and vegetables, so I'm, I, I don't think I could pick one. Oh, that's your favorite uh-uh. one. Yeah. yeah. I love fruits and vegetables, too. Yeah. I've gotten to appreciate them more as I've gotten older, I think, <laughs> which is yeah. good. Do you have a least favorite food? No. No. I mean, I suppose there's some foods that I probably don't eat that are really weird foods, but mm-hmm. I eat almost everything. Yeah. Do you like to I, cook too? Yeah, I yes. love to cook. Yes. And so, and we do a lot of, um, oh, we like buy a side pork and make our own bacon. Oh, sure, sure. You know, or we have a, a smoker out outside that will smoke, smoke things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and I made my homemade English muffins for breakfast this morning. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, that I made yesterday, and then they were in the refrigerator, and uh-huh. I baked them off this morning. So we make bread, or we, you know, we do a lot of that. Anything stuff. that you can make from scratch. Yep. And it tastes so much better, too. It does. It's amazing how good it tastes. Yeah. Do you have a favorite drink? Well, yeah, probably it's something with booze in it. <laughs> I, yeah, me too. <laughs> red wine. Red I wine. wine. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you have a least favorite drink? Um, no. I mean, I don't drink. There's a lot of things I don't drink. Mm-hmm. You're not so, something that you don't like certain things. You just kind of just don't partake yeah, in them. Uh, anything yeah. that has sugar that I don't drink, anything that has artificial color, artificial flavor, all of those things, none of those things. None of those sure. things are yeah. things that you consume. Yeah. Uh, do you have a favorite smell? Smell? Wow. Probably something like cookies baking or bread baking. (laughs) So your English muffins probably smelled amazing when you baked them off this morning. Yeah. (laughs) And what brings you joy in your life? Um, My job does, you know, my family. So, and I think I have a pretty good uh, balance. You know, I have four kids, like I said. I have seven Mm -hmm. grandkids. That's an afternoon grandkids, seven. Yeah. Yeah. And I have... um, yeah, I've had wonderful jobs, and I'm very passionate about my work. I mean, I can't imagine, I always, I always feel so bad for people that don't want to go to work in the morning, because I love going to work. I mean, you know, I, sometimes you're tired, oh, sure. things like that happen, but it's always like, yeah, I feel passionate about what I'm doing, and, I, and I'm, we're lucky to have jobs where we can make a difference in people's lives, 
and that's what's really important is that you're making a difference in people's lives and you you know you're going to accomplish something when when you've had time here on the earth to um, say that you know you can be proud of what you did um and so all of that i think brings me joy you know and that's exactly what should bring you joy yeah i think when you you have that passion too it's easy to get up and go to work and knowing that you're making a difference some way shape or form it's it, yep. I do feel bad for people that just don't want to go to work. Yeah. <laughs> Time to find what you love. So if you ever feel that way, go find it. Yeah, it's, no, it's, and it's, it's um, you just have, you know, because we're lucky because we, we have educations and we have, you know, mm-hmm. some people don't have that luxury. So sure. yeah, never will. Doesn't mean that they can't, though, either. I mean, mm-hmm. They just need to be have models, role mm-hmm. models. That, yeah, that, absolutely. And show them they can do that. Well, thank you so much for spending time with sure. me today. Enjoyed it. Thank you. Susan's path as a registered dietitian is the definition of if you want it, go and get it. Her drive and dedication to her passion is what led her through this exciting career path. I love her message about being the food and nutrition expert because without food, we would not have nutrition. I admire how she practices food sustainability in her own life with gardening, farming, and cooking. And she really is the perfect example of a food and nutrition expert. Jolly Time Healthy Pop Popcorn is available in a variety of flavors and sizes, all of which that are low on fat and extremely high on deliciousness. Did you know that just three cups of Jolly Time Popcorn equal one whole grain serving? Jolly Time is family owned and located in Sioux City, Iowa. And if you want to learn more, visit jollytime.com. Head on over to annelizabethrd.com where my book, I'm Registered Dietitian Now What, is available. My weekly blog post, Wisdom Wednesday, is available to read, and you can find all the show notes and links to things Susan and I talked about today. I would also love for you to connect with me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at AnnaElizabethRD. Remember to be great always, find the joy in each day, and to start a conversation that truly matters.